reading from the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, again, a warm welcome to everyone joining us. Uh, this fall, we are making our way through the book of Acts, which is short for the Acts of the Apostles. And today we're going to be looking at the first half of Acts chapter 2. If you need to catch up, um, you can go online to danielislandfellowship.org and just click on the worship tab and you can catch up in our sermon series. It's been really exciting this fall. The message today is titled, Set on Fire. And I want to begin with this question. How was the storm for you? How's the storm for you this last week? Um, for me, I took some snapshots of different things I saw online. And on August 30th, uh, we saw this model, this prediction, if you will, or lack thereof, of Hurricane Dorian. I think they call this the spaghetti models. Why? Because it looks like spaghetti. And um, you can see that the predicted path was supposed to go towards West Palm and Fort Lauderdale, right? And uh, as we know, that that didn't 
fully hold true. It didn't touch land there. And then a few days later, I took this screenshot. And this is now Hurricane Dorian. Uh, this is a radar of Cat 3 Hurricane Dorian as it's passing Jacksonville, coming our way. And um, I don't know about you, but for me, I was looking at all different sources, websites, you know, local news, national news, just trying to make sense of it all. Like, what's really happening? And I came across this one page on Facebook, and I'm just curious who else found this page. Raise your hand. Yeah. The Drunk Donkey. It's Mike's weather page. You just Google Mike's weather page. Mike is just a weather fan. He's not a weather man. He's a weather fan. And he has just learned to take the com complex data and make it simple and accessible to the masses. And um, I think he has something like 700,000 likes on his Facebook page. And so he takes all that data and helps us. And why does he have a logo called Drunk Donkey? Well, it's because some national media, from what I understand, made fun of him and called him uh, this drunk donkey on Facebook. So he's now capitalizing on that nickname and selling shirts and such. So I followed the drunk donkey during the storm, as well as other sources. Obviously, I wasn't alone. You see, at Pentecost, as we look at our passage, at Pentecost, the world witnessed a different kind of storm. And I think the big idea we can take away from our passage this morning is this. God not only wants to set us free, he wants to set us on fire. God not only wants to set you free, he wants to set you and me on fire. And we're going to unpack this through a few points this morning. So let's dive in. Point one, God calls us to receive his power not just his promises. The passage began. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So for those who weren't with us over the last few weeks, let me catch you up uh, on the story and give you the context of our text. Uh, the book of Acts is written by a medical doctor named Luke. And it's actually the second book uh, in a series, if you will, uh, where he started his first book with the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. The whole point of the Gospel of Luke is that he would show, almost through clinical notes, that Jesus is the Savior of love. And he presents kind of all this data and argument through his own assessment that Jesus is the Savior of love. And then we turn to Acts, uh, the book of Acts, and the, the book of Acts is all about the mission of love. Jesus says to his disciples, just as the Father has sent me, Tim, Tricia, Sally, I'm sending you. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gave these words to his disciples. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, um, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus calls us to a mission far beyond our own comfort and capacity. Why do I say far beyond our own comfort? We talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Why would they want to witness in Jerusalem? That's where Jesus was murdered. That doesn't seem wise. Jesus says, no, I want you to be my witnesses there. Judea? Really, Jesus? That's where you and we were slandered? Yeah, I want you to go with my good news there. Samaria? That's where the half-breeds live. You know, those who've intermarried with foreigners? Yeah, I want you to go there. And I want you to go beyond there. I want you to go far beyond the level of your comfort. And I also know that you need something far beyond your own capacity to think or do. And so you have to pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And that's where we find ourselves, this story called Pentecost. And three signs are given to the early church. There's this rushing wind that comes and fills the house. Then there's these tongues of fire that come upon every person. What? And then there's this inspired speech. So what's going on here? Because we don't have a ton of time, I'm just going to focus on the fire. Why did God send fire, Nick? Why did he send fire, JT? Well, because fire's awesome, right? Who here has a fire pit in their yard? Who here likes to gather around the fire with friends or family, right? I think there's something holy about a fire. I think there's something obviously awesome about a fire. And I want to tell you a story from this summer about a fire, Our DIFF students, our middle schoolers and high schoolers, they went to North Carolina to this camp together near the end of the summer. And the week climaxed with a fire. And our own Sergio Marin was one of the adult leaders. And and he invited the students to prayerfully write down on paper different maybe sins they were carrying, secrets they were carrying, shame that they carried, struggles they carried, and then to place it into the fire and give it to God. And he read some passages around this. And so they go to do this, and I heard it was a really emotional time. And yet when my son Blaze came home, he said, I think I, I didn't quite get it right with the fire. And I, I said, what, what do you mean you didn't get right? And he said, well, I, I wrote down a secret, and I placed it in the fire. And I said, okay, well, that sounds like you followed the instructions. And he goes, well, I wrote, I loved, I love stuffed animals. And I placed it in the fire. (laughs) But there is something special and alluring about a fire, isn't there? And there's something deeply rooted in the people of God with fires. If, If you think back to the Old Testament, think back to Exodus chapter three, Moses in the burning bush. Okay, let me recall that for us. Exodus 3, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. 
And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And the story would go on where God would say, Moses, my people are in bondage, in slavery. They need to be rescued, and I want to use you to set them free. And Moses is saying, why me? And, and, and how will I do this? You know what God says? Moses, where you go, I will go. Now fast forward to Acts chapter 2, and you've got all the early followers of Jesus. We read in Acts 1, there's 120 believers gathered together in prayer and worship. And essentially, they're at the foot of God saying, here I am. And note this, at Pentecost, God moves from dwelling among people to within people. There's a big pivot in history. God moves at Pentecost from moving among people to within people. Why? Because God's plan is that we would all be like burning bushes on fire for him. Do you see the connection? What God is saying is, Sarah, in your home and in your school, I want you to burn brightly for me. Rob, when you're working out in the harbor, I want you to be a burning bush for me. Lindsay, in the home, in our city, I want you to burn brightly for me. Not just to know my promises, but to live in my power. You see, the power that breathed life into the first man, that split wide the Red Sea, that went before and behind the Israelites in the wilderness, that dwelt over the tabernacle, that filled the inner walls of the temple, that brought life to the valley of dry bones, that resurrected the very Son of God, came flooding into the hearts of 120 believers desperate for more, ready for more at Pentecost. And friends, it all starts with the simple phrase, God, here I am. I'm ready for more. Point one, God calls us to receive his power, not just his promises. Point two, God calls us to a faith movement, not just a faith moment. The story continues. Now there, we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And I want us to picture the scene. All, there's this storm, there's this wind, there's this fire. And then out of nowhere, these, these early followers of Jesus start praising God, worshiping God in different tongues. There, there might be you know, people knowing Greek or whatever it might be, Hebrew, whatever it might be. There's all these nations represented and it's not random. It's not chaos. It's kind of a beautiful symphony, this chorus of people praising God, declaring God's glory so all may understand, all may be brought in. It's a beautiful scene, but it's not just beautiful, it's very meaningful. Going back to the Old Testament, 
Pentecost, and this is for those who really want to lock in and take away a big nugget. Pentecost reverses the curse that had divided humanity since the Tower of Babel. Pentecost reverses the curse that had divided humanity since the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 10 and 11. If you look at Acts chapter 2, as all this is going on, there's a list of nations. And can we just give Jonathan Dixon some snaps for his reading of Scripture? That was amazing. You're so inspirational, Jonathan. Well, the first table of nations is found in Genesis 10. And so under, to understand our story here and now, we got to look back at the story then. There's this table of nations, and it lists Noah and his sons and the descendants. And it's like there's fresh hope here on earth, a fresh start. And yet then one chapter later, humanity goes off the rails again. They try to build a tower Not so God can be celebrated, but so they can be celebrated. Not so they could acknowledge God's power, but so they would have the power. And again, uh, we, we see humanity go wayward. The specific words are recorded like this. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth or excuse me, from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And if you look at what's happening in Pentecost, uh, the people throughout Scripture and honestly throughout history, they're scattered, they're divider, divided, there's disunity, right, even now. But that is being reversed at Pentecost. Check it out. At Pentecost, God is bringing back together every nation, tribe, people and language. Do you see the bridge from the Old Testament to the, to the new? God is saying, I want to bring my people home. I want to bring the family of humanity back together. Out of the confusion and the chaos and the scattering, God brings clarity and unity. And you see, God wants to use us in this mission to gather and rebuild his family. We're not just to receive power so we can be as some superhero or villain. We're supposed to receive power with the Holy Spirit to go and rebuild God's family, to call people back to himself and back to one another, to create bridges, not walls. What does this look like practically in our lives? I did not ask for this man's permission but I'm going to take a risk. On the men's hike, uh, there's, our men do a hike deep into the mountains. I'm not allowed to speak a lot about it. Uh, I don't think this betrays confidence. We, we hike, and it's very smelly and stinky and beautiful, and, and we grow closer to God and one another. And honestly, a lot of the men are like, I don't even know why I'm here. And uh, by the end, they're like, I don't want to leave here. Just something happens there. 
And I think it was on the third night, this one gentleman scared me. I had the, the furthest tent, and he came through the woods in the blackness of night, and he said, Pastor Paul, can I speak with you? And I said, sure. And he said, I really am drawn to what's happening here. But I got to tell you, I just want to make, make sure it sinks with my family and my heritage. He goes, I'm from Venezuela, and I grew up in a Catholic home, and my mom loved me well, and she taught me different things about the faith, and I don't want to accept your faith and discard her faith and discard you, or excuse me, discard her, excuse me. So I just want to make sure like we're on parallel paths here. And then he started sharing certain things that are meaningful for him, that his mom taught him, one of which is the sign of the cross. And as we, as we began to talk and he began to share, I, I think it was clear that God actually had brought him from Venezuela into this moment and into our community, not for disunity, but for unity. And together, by the end, I was like, man, if that's all there is, you're made to belong with us, and we're made to belong with you. And see, God is doing this very thing right here and right now, not just in our passage, but in this room. There are people in this room. I met someone from Maryland, someone from California. We have someone uh, originally from London visiting. We have people from every different place, and God is saying, you belong with me, and you belong together. You see, God calls us to a faith movement, not just a faith moment. And point three, whether we stutter or struggle, God calls each of us to boldly point to Jesus. Have you ever had a limitation that hindered your ability to lead? You can just blink your eyes at me. Have you ever had a limitation that hindered your ability to lead? Some of you know I grew up in Polk County. It's one of the poorest counties in Florida. My mom is an educator, but the school system there was not the greatest. And I was not the greatest at certain things. It's true, Reagan. I really struggled with reading and reading comprehension. So much so that it was in kindergarten or first grade, I, there were three different reading groups. There was like the lions, tigers, and chickens. I promise I was in the chickens, and they did have a group called the chickens. I don't know why that would be allowed. <laughs> Whew. I'm working it out. I'm working it out. <laughs> My mom was so hot. She was so angry. But over Christmas, we spent about two hours a day reading as much as we could. And I moved up a rung into another group. But reading and, reading comprehension, vocab, all that stuff was very hard for me. And, uh, and yet, when I hit middle school, seventh grade, McLaughlin Middle School, the big public middle school, when we had our reading class, again, some weird tactics, weird, weird strategy, there's a class of about 50 people, and the way the seating worked is there were tiers. It was like auditorium seating. And the best reader got to be on the top tier in the center seat. And you know who ascended to that seat? Me. And I thought, I've made it. And then that year, my parents decided that it was best that I was sent to boarding school, and I took the standardized test at the time to measure my uh, abilities, and I was the lowest testing incoming eighth grader of my class in reading 
in reading comprehension. So I went from here back down to here. And you just carry this kind of same theme into undergrad and grad school and in, in the thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. And then you throw in Hebrew and Greek. I don't even know English. How am I supposed to know these other languages? <laughs> so you fast forward to my first time that I preached, I was terrified. I was white with fear. Can you relate? You see, Peter and the disciples all had very clear limitations as well. Our passage highlights them. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. You could read it like this. Aren't all these who are speaking from Polk County, from Duplin County, or from whatever county you're from? According to John Stott, the speakers were known to be Galileans who had a reputation for being uncultured. They also had difficulty pronouncing gutturals and had the habit of swallowing syllables when speaking. So they were looked down upon by the people of Jerusalem as being provincial. It's not surprising, therefore, that the crowd's reaction was one of bewilderment. Not only was Peter a Galilean, he was the greatest failure the world had ever known at that time. Pentecost literally means 50. And it was just 50 days before that G Jesus was denied three times by this very man, Peter. And everyone knew about this denial. Nonetheless, no matter his limitations, Peter stood and boldly shared the gospel. He read these words from Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, God uses limited people to produce limitless results. If God can use me and God can use Peter, he can use you to accomplish anything. I had to cut off Peter's sermon halfway through for a matter of time. We're going to finish it next week. But we, we will see that Peter, the failure, the stutterer, will convert 3,000 people to Christ. God uses limited people to produce limitless results. And whether we stutter or struggle, God calls each of us to boldly point to Jesus. So in summary, God not only wants to set us free from sin, that's what the book of Luke is all about. He wants to set us on fire for him. Every one of us. N.T. Wright has this to say about our passage. Luke clearly intends to describe something new, something that launched a great movement. As a fleet of ships is launched by the strong wind, 
that drives them out to sea or a forest fire started by a few small flames. He intends to explain how it was that a small group of frightened, puzzled, and largely uneducated men and women could so quickly become, as they undoubtedly did, a force to be reckoned with right across the known world. So Jake, Cody, Kelsey, do you want to be part of this force, this community on fire for Christ? Three challenges or invitations. First, ask for God's power. Don't just stand in his promises. Ask for God's power that he would set you on fire like a burning bush in your home, in your school, in your workplaces, and beyond. Join in God's movement. It's not just about a personal conversion. There's a movement of God happening here. And we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. God is saying, draw people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And do all this pointing, not just, not, excuse me, not to your name, but to Jesus' name. Calling everyone and anyone to be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, this word, this story. I pray that this story of the early church would be our story. God, some of us in here have been sitting on the sidelines for far too long, and we want your power to live within us. Come, Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Set us on fire. Some of us know we're called to a bigger story, to a bigger mission. God, move in our words, in our lives, so that we could become gatherers of your family, drawing all men back to yourself. And God, may we have the boldness, despite our stutters and struggles, to stand and point people to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.